On this week's full-time roundup, the Cups continue during midweek. AFCON and Asia Cups do not disappoint. We predict some of the best games of this weekend, and Daniel and Ewan have a few discussions regarding European football and much, much more. Full-time roundup starts right now. All right, welcome to another midweek episode of Full-Time Roundup. I am in the host chair today, and my co-host today is a special guest here, Ewan. Ewan, how are you doing? Um, it is four. It is five o'clock on the East Coast right now. Ewan is in England right now. England or Ewan? What time is it in in England right now? Just about to turn ten o'clock. So uh, yeah, late night recording, but uh, pretty used to it. So really excited to be here. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun time. Best things to chat about football, and it's going on all over the world at the moment. So uh, exciting! Absolutely, thank you. That is past my bedtime. So uh, <laughs> all props to you. And uh, before we get started, you uh, and go ahead and um, you know give a little backdrop. So you um, are on the Crowncast, which is a Charlotte FC podcast. Uh, you know, tell us who you support, where in England you are from, and. Uh, I guess how you got into football. Yeah, so like you mentioned there, the Crowncast, uh, Charlotte FC podcast, me, Logan, Josh, many others. It's uh, yeah, Charlotte FC pod still going through with everything in the uh, in the off season. But yeah, excited for the MLS season to start with that. And uh, yeah, we like to think that even though we are all fans of the team, that we take a, a fairly uh, unbiased approach to the way that we analyze things, talking about the tactical stuff, tactical side of the game little bit of data as well which is is not my strong suit but certainly is that of uh of josh's and yeah the guys uh the guys do a great job of doing things and i uh i try not to uh i try my best not to spoil it so yeah shout out to those guys but yeah in terms of how i got into football as someone growing up in uh in england kind of the standard way it's uh it's obviously the main sport over here so uh a lot of people much like me don't really get a choice you kind of put into football whether you like it or not and uh you know, thrown in at the deep end to see whether you sink or swim. And and obviously I took to it and loved it. But um, that was from a young age. And then when you kind of get to 15, 16, 17, you start looking at the game in a different way. You're able to get accessibility to certain things where with regards to tactics and everything like that. So I've always loved football. I've always loved it as a fan. But from a tactical perspective, it's something that almost rebirthed a new love in it. And uh, that's the main way that I enjoy the game now, which... Um, even though, like you mentioned, I am a fan of uh, of, of three teams, uh, Charlotte FC being one, like I mentioned, Leeds United being another, which gets to where I'm from, which is uh, only just a hop, skip and a jump outside of Leeds in a place called Harrogate. And the other one is Juventus, which is, uh, which is again, is a, is a family thing, but um, yeah, is, is, is obviously not where I'm from. And uh and and yeah, maybe the only one of the three teams which I could uh, which would classify me as a glory supporter, so to speak, even though it's not been so great as of late. But uh, yeah, those are my three teams, and uh, yeah, through that managed to consume a lot of football, and we'll be covering a lot today, so it's helpful. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, just real quick for all our followers, you can follow Ewan at underscore Ewan E U A N R. On X, um, I actually, you know, met you through Twitter. Uh, we would, uh, you know, you'd post, you know, you're, you're very insightful. So you would tweet things out and I'd usually kind of 
you know, reply back. And that's kind of how this whole thing got set up uh, a, lot, a lot long time ago. We have, we have, <laughs> it's been almost a, a year and a half probably since, you know, uh, the fall, but glad to have you on. So we'll go ahead and jump right in since we uh, do want to, you know, be a little efficient for our listeners time here. Um, so just a quick review here. First on the docket is the FA cup um, as you know, Charlotte soccer show. And, and that's what you say always for the cup. That's what we love here um, on this show. Um, you love seeing upsets, and we had one this week, actually, with Bristol City upsetting West Ham. You know, West Ham did go down a man um, with Benarama getting a straight red. Do you have any, you know, commentary on this match, or is this, you know, what you expected considering, you know, the red card, even though they did score before the red card? Yeah, I suppose for the neutrals, it's probably nice to get a shock within that round of fixtures because I think a lot of it was pretty chalk. Um, so good of West Ham to step up and uh, and provide something. Uh, I do think that even though they they do seem like a classic team where you'd think I'll oh, go for a cup run, between the league form of them wanting to press for Europe and then being in Europe, wanting to compete there, um, it may not be the worst thing in the world. And I hate saying that because we do obviously uh, love cup competitions and what they bring. But that is a fairly top-heavy side, so maybe they wouldn't have had the depth to compete on three fronts like maybe uh, people would have assumed. So not the end of the world for them. Not the biggest fan of the football that West Ham play, but um seems to work. So, uh, yeah, good luck to them the rest of the way. They'll have a, a much less busy schedule off the back of that result. Could not agree more. Um, you know, they still are in European competitions, so that's probably their their main goal here as well as, you know, finishing top 10, if not breaking into the top seven of the Premier League this year. Um, second, yeah, Wolves beating Brentford. Brentford have been really struggling recently. Um, they do have Ivan Tony back now. He's allowed to play. Depends on how, you know, if they're going to sell him in the January window or uh, how long he takes to get back up to speed from his ban. Um, but I, I wouldn't say I expected this result, a 2-1 win, but Wolves are a, a sneaky good team at times. Yeah, they've got sneaky good players. I think that squad is, um, for as much as the Premier League, every team's got a few decent players. They really they really do have a squad where almost the style of football that they play would would make you think that, that maybe there's, you know, could they do a little bit better here? Could they do a little bit better there? I think that they are probably a side that you could put up there with kind of the best of the rest squad wise. Um, we'll probably get on to Wolves a little bit later. Obviously we have a plan here and I think they fit into something that I want to chat about a bit later. So I won't go too much into that, but yeah, Brentford, like I mentioned with West Ham, would it be a perfect year for a cup run? Brentford's perfect years for cup runs feel like they've been and gone. And this year there's, there's a real threat, even though the bottom three looks so uh, porous that they might get dragged into it because they've, been way below the standard but yeah hopefully Ivan Tony coming back will will help them in a major way I don't think he'll go in this month I just think that would be a buy low uh, a sell low for them um probably hang on to him let him come back and if he rejuvenates the side scores his goals then in the summer you're probably looking at a sale because uh I think he's made it pretty obvious that he'd like to be out of there yeah he also mentioned though that he'd like to repay his debts of uh get it because of gambling but um yeah he also yeah. you know it's no, no pun intended <laughs> no pun intended but he's actually you know thankful for for brentford for kind of backing him through this whole process so he he is thankful for them so a nice nod but then at the same time he's saying you know i'd love for a play for a top uh top club are you um big on thomas frank or not yeah i i like thomas frank a lot i i think that 
a coach like him and the situation that's happening at Brentford it almost is a little bit inevitable because they are sort of like a, a, a lesser Brighton in a way in that the fact everyone says, oh, how good are they at buying low and selling high and doing that? But the problem with that is that you have to be perfect with it. Like you, you really don't have much room for error. So now when you have the transfers that they've most recently made, like Kevin Shade, um, I think, uh, I, I can't remember the young guy's name that they signed from Hull off the top of my head right now, Lewis Potter, I believe it is. Yeah, uh, that's right. Lewis Potter, yeah. When you have signings like that, which you invest in quite heavily and they don't quite hit the ground running, your margin for error, the fact that you now are creating error, it is going to have a real is going to have a real effect. Put that in with the fact that they have been missing their best player. It's not overly shocking that they struggled, but I just I don't worry about them in any major way at all because I think they've got a really good manager who's really good at direct game planning. He's all effect for the uh, for the club that he's managing. Does it make you a bit concerned the way he projects if he gets a big move elsewhere? Yeah, I think it probably should do a little, but. Yeah, I think in his situation where he is now, I think he's a top coach. And um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about them too much in the long term, even though I'm sure they're probably worrying quite a lot um, within that building. Absolutely, especially with Johan Vissa going to AFCON. The arrival, new signing Tony, is, is a big, big deal and you know helps the squad a lot. And then for the third game, Everton beat Palace. You know, No matter how bad the news gets, for Everton, they're still able to churn out a result. Sean Deitch at his best here. Um, I mean, you know, another win at Goodison. The comparison of, you know, Deitch versus Hodgson is is a fun one, but didn't really know how this match was going to go. <laughs> yeah, I I just tend to think that in a game like this with two fairly evenly matched sides, you, you give the benefit of the doubt to the home team when it comes to the cup. Um as, as cliched as that is to say. Uh, I also think that Deitch, you, you mentioned there the comparison with Hodgson. I think he just does have, I think he does have the upper hand on him as a manager at this stage. I think Deitch is is much better at, at coaching a team to play a certain style direct for a game plan. I think also this matchup works out pretty well for them um, just in terms of how Crystal Palace wants to play and the fact that that plays into Everton's hands a little bit. So yeah, two evenly matched teams that shows in the fact that they've played um, 180 minutes of Football that's been separated by one goal so yeah not too many shots here absolutely and i the my only thought on this match was just considering all the ffp charges that are coming against everton maybe they prioritize the premier league and not want to play these extra games um but you know that seems not to be the case now to go over to spain with the copa del rey uh celta vigo beat valencia this was actually a really fun match to watch i, I wasn't sure if this was going to be a stinker or you know, turn into a, a great affair. And it, it was a goal fest with four goals. Um, I was, you know, Luca Della Torre, you know, U.S. national um, had a fantastic backheel goal in this game. And I actually uh, was very impressed with Javi Guerra, the center mid for Valencia here. Um, he broke through last year when they were doing pretty rough and has kind of been the heart of the team ever since. Uh, but I thought this match was a fun watch. Yeah, yeah, this this was an interesting one because I think it speaks to um I believe it's uh, it, it's Rafa who's there with uh, yep, with Rafa Benitez now isn't it Rafa Benitez yeah because I was watching that watching that game and um I think if you were to look at the possession stats you would see a lot of possession in favor um of Valencia and everything like that but yeah going back and watching it back um because you actually mentioned to me about Guerrero how you, how you liked him so I I, I went and had a look 
he had, he had a good game. But the other thing that you realise with this is <laughs> the way that Rafa Benitez is happy to kind of sit in with that mid block. You're, he almost is sacrificing a bit of space for those centre mids to run the game a little bit, as long as those further forward players aren't dictating as much and, and kind of con making that space really uh, congregated so that they can play on the break and play with a bit more space when they're on the attack. And probably sacrificed a lot of shots. I wouldn't be surprised if they had more shots in this game, but I don't think they had that many major chances. Um, and yeah, this was almost... I think if you were to do some teach tape into Rafa Benitez football, this is this is almost what you would come up with. Two teams where maybe there's not a major talent differential, but tactics-wise, they did what they wanted to do, dictated the game without the ball, and yeah, ultimately came out with a result. Celta Vigo wins. Fact. I don't know if you get that reference of his, his facts rant from oh, yeah. way back oh, when yeah. with Liverpool, oh, yeah. but that was vintage Rafa. Um, just to quickly go through a couple other games, Granada, you know, get back to winning ways against Rayo Vallecano. Granada's really struggled in the in the La Liga this year, so good to see that they're still competing in the Cup. Real Sociedad, you know, without some of their biggest players, beat Osasuna. Osasuna, uh, you know, as we previously mentioned, um, lost to Barcelona in in the oh god super cup smash super cup and uh sevilla bounced back against hatafe which i was actually thinking hatafe was gonna get a result here um you know mason green once looked really good since he made the mood move abroad um and sevilla had been struggling but uh they actually looked pretty good here especially without their uh moroccan striker el nasseri yeah I, I mean you're not you're not wrong for probably going into a game assuming the worst for Sevilla at this stage. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's been an incredibly an incredibly poorly ran club for a little while now, and I think when you're a club like that that has, and I know that nothing really compares to the Premier League in terms of financial advantage, but when you are a team that has a little bit of a head start and everyone else going back years and years, for them to be in the situation that they're in now, it takes a lot of mismanagement for that to happen. And they continually make bad decisions. They have Victor Ort, who's in charge now as a director of football, who has a track record of of taking teams in 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 decent situations and you know making decent appointments in terms of uh, managers from time to time, and also being a decent finder of really young talent when it comes to like a 17, 18 year old. But that feels sometimes like darts at the dartboard. Like you could fail with fifteen of those, but as long as you get one right in a major way, you'll have your name next to that forever. Whereas in severe situation now where they really need results, I'm not sure he's quite the, the the person that you would want in charge and he's a bit of a, a dictator of chaos. I will say as well, Sergio Ramos's goal in this game, I think it opened the scoring. Absolute classic Sergio Ramos goal from a set piece. So uh, if you get some time to just watch that goal, it's it's worth doing because I don't think anyone since he's been playing has, has ever been better at attacking a, a corner than him. He's done it on uh, Champions League finals and yeah, still doing it in the Copa del Rey. So uh, shout out to him. Yeah, absolutely. And that hairstyle is so vintage. I, I love it. Uh, just to quickly kind of round everything up, Atletico, Athletic Club uh, beat Alaves. Um, Barcelona, they they struggle with a, a third league side, I believe, but they're able to kind of turn around in the second half and, and score three goals to make it a little bit more comfortable. And the Madrid derby is currently... With 10 minutes left, uh, Atletico Madrid is actually up 2-1 right now. So that's a, an interesting development. Maybe we'll circle back. Um, so to to kind of hit on 
the last cup we'll talk about here when it comes to domestically, uh, Coppa Italia, uh, Napoli versus Fiorentina played today. Napoli are able to kind of get back to winning ways here. Um, 3-0 win, and they actually saw some unlikely goal scorers today. Zerbin, the 24-year-old Italian, and Simeone uh, finally wake up as they've been, you know, just shooting blanks, if you will, Um you know, the last couple months and they get on the score sheet and maybe, you know, it takes some of these fringe players to step up for Napoli to kind of bounce back in Syria. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because all of last season for as good as they were and, and how far ahead they were of the chasing pack, it did feel like they were running a little bit hot at times. And, uh, obviously if you could say, well, uh, to, to Napoli and their fans, you can run a little bit hot last season, win the league at a canter and then pay for it in the first half of the next season. I think everyone's taking that trade off. Um, but it has come back around with them, even with the new head coach and then the, and then the bringing back Bizarre, who's who's coming. I think he's been there for a couple uh, a couple months now. Um, I still think there's a decent amount of time here for them to salvage like a fairly successful season, even objectively, never mind uh, including the fact of how difficult the start has been. Like top four, it's still within touching distance, and no one in that, you know, that third, fourth, fifth, sixth position in Serie A really blows you away at the moment. On top of the fact that they've obviously progressed in the in the cup, and if they could add a bit of cup success as well there, then you pair that together, and I think their fans would be more than happy with that. Even though it's been a, a strange winding road to get there, I think they're still uh, they could still salvage a, a decent season, and uh, yeah, I think uh, Kvaric Scalia. A struggle in the first half of the year, but obviously most people are very high on him. I like him a lot. I think there's no way he's going to have this long a consistent streak of playing poor football. I think yeah. he'll get better. That'll encourage the team. Ossiman will come back, and yeah, I, I would I would probably have my money on them having a strong finish to the season. Absolutely, me me as well. But those Naples fans can be ruthless, and that owner's a very interesting character. So you never know with that club. <laughs> um, the pivot to Serie A, which is a little bit of your specialty, especially with Juventus. Um, we'll just jump right into it. Juventus had a great win against Sassuolo. You tweeted you were obviously very happy about Dusan Vlahovic's brace and how you know he's back. And Vlahovic, for me, he's obviously a, a highly talented striker, or was at least. Um, and I was looking into his, his stats here, and I actually was – a little taken back. He's only twenty three years old. I didn't. I didn't realize that. I thought he was more like around twenty six so, years old. He's so much younger than people realize. Exactly. He's, I think it's because he kicked on at was it Fiorentina before. Can't remember where he started yeah. his his trade, but um, I feel that feels like such a long time ago. But you know, you have Dusan with twelve uh, goals and assists and eighteen appearances, which is not shabby at all. Um, you know, you got Yildiz, this this Turkish 18-year-old striker who's kind of broke through the last couple of months. And then, you know, Allegri and Co. have slowly and quietly built a pretty strong core with, you know, Cambiasso, Moretti, Wea, Fagioli, who, or Fagioli, excuse me, who's, you know, in trouble for gambling right now. But I didn't take one for Allegri to build kind of a, a younger squad, but he he's done a great job at it. Yeah, you're right for thinking that. And and ultimately what's happened is he's kind of had no choice. <laughs> it's been That's a case true. of where the, the talent is just too obvious that he's kind of pressed against it a little bit. He's been patient with bringing these players through. But ultimately, it's not a case of, oh, this player's young and we, we like the way they're coming along. Let's give them some minutes, let them figure things out and, you know, we'll, we'll reap the reward. 
they're just they they're so ready to play, and and Juventus is struck have struck so lucky with these players that there's no way that they can't play. Pair that with the fact that every Serie A team seems like they're playing under financial constraints, and you have a situation where things have almost paired as a as a imperfect plan sort of because Juve would have never planned to have been into this financial situation but they're very lucky that it's happened at a time where the players are coming through like they are uh, like you mentioned with Yildish like I think you almost it's it's so it's so strange with him I don't think I've ever seen a player come into a side and, and almost take it by the scruff of the neck as quickly as he has he's just he, he blows you away as a footballer you don't have to be a specialist to know how good he is but yeah you mentioned Cambiasso, Moretti uh, Timothy Weyer, who's obviously, I think, uh, is is someone who hasn't been developed at Juve, has uh, has 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 come from elsewhere, but has Juve in the uh, in the blood with his father, and then uh, and then Fagioli, who is sad situation that he's away for the uh, for his gambling, uh, but yeah, you've uh, not really have any complaints about that one. I do think in a big picture way with Juventus, and also Matthias Sule, who's playing away on on loan as well, and can't uh, forget him. And, and he, yeah, Dean Hushin, who's uh, just signed for Roma, um, apparently specifically because Jose convinced him, and now that situation's happened. So we'll see what happens, what happens with that, and hopefully he keeps getting football. But yeah, in a big picture way, as a Juventus follower, I just hope that we don't continue with financial chicanery, moving things around to keep making big money signings, and then just pushing the can down the road and getting punished for it later. It's just take our medicine be conservative in the market and let these young players play, bring the players back on loan and put them in the side or else we're just wasting a perfect opportunity to have some sustainability and a team that would be fun to watch, which Juventus absolutely have not been for a little while now. So that's my hope. Whether it'll actually happen is another thing, but that's my hope. Are you still kind of leaning towards Allegri you know, being done. I was I was talking to Matt about this. I think on the last spot, they, they there was talks about you know him leaving, but you know with this success and how well they've been playing as of late, it's kind of hard to see him out. But it just is not the attractive brand of football that that like a top club in Serie A wants to play. Where do you kind of stand on that? Yeah, it's not attractive football. The other thing I think is that it's not effective. I think one of the one of the one of the debates you get to when you talk about these styles of play is you talk about you know it can often become style versus substance. I'm sure there's some coaches that we'll talk about later where people will say after a bad result, oh, the football oh, it's great to watch when it's working, but you know can you go here and get a result? Can you do this when this happens in terms of game state? Yeah, well, also ultimately, I well I mean that that's <laughs> going back a while, but that he kind of uh, I don't think there's ever been more of a debate with one manager than when it came with him because that was the the, the knobs were turned so far in in both directions um but yeah the managers of that ilk I just um I, I just think teams if a team suits a certain way of playing and that's the best way they get results that's the best way they get results and if it comes with some thrashings it comes with some thrashings when it comes to Allegri I think his style of football, it just it doesn't bring the best out of an elite side because it's not bringing the best out of elite traits when it comes to attacking players and attacking football and attacking players who play forward. That's the most sustainable way to win. People will say things like, you know, defense, defense wins championships and everything like that. Best way of defense is to play with the ball in the opposition's half and to and to put numbers in there and have a good counter press and have a good rest defense as well at the same time. But even if Juventus win the league and and do well in the cup and things like that, there'll still be meat left on the bone. I feel like we're having mm-hmm. a good season so far, 
And I, that's how I feel. I feel like there's meat left on the bone of this team. I hope that amicably Juventus win the Scudetto. They see that as a good way for Allegri to walk off into the sunset with because his contract's up. But it's going to be hard for them not to come with a contract if that is if that's what happens. So I don't know. It's uh, I feel a little bit conflicted with it. But to answer your question, yeah, I would be looking to move on with it with a new head coach. I think someone could get a lot more out of this team, especially as we will be probably re-entering Europe next season. So absolutely. to do that with absolutely. Yeah, to do that with a new head coach playing better football would would be an ideal situation. And, you know, there's two names in in my head um, that, you know, really stick out. The biggest one is obviously pending of of the Euros, but um, Zidane, you know, going back home to to Juventus to coach, I think that's a job he has kept one eye on throughout. You know, obviously he'd probably rather coach France, um, or go back to Madrid at some point. But I think, you know, he he did enjoy his time at Juventus and uh, I could see him going there or obviously Antonio Conte. I think AC Milan are in a better position to sign Conte. Um, but that, and then just to kind of recap this, not recap, but just to cap off this Juventus talk. I mean, he's also, Allegri's got the best out of, out of Weston McKinney and I don't think many Juventus fans expected him to be kind of one of the heartbeats of this roster. And he's been absolutely fantastic uh, to start the season. And I hope he can, you know, round it out to finish strong, but uh, as well as Chiesa and he's, he's the X factor other than Vlahovic. And I feel like he hasn't been playing his best football the last, I'd say year or so, but if he started to heat up now. And if he can, you know, carry that form to Euros, it, Italy as well will be a very big dark horse in the tournament. Um, but to kind of move on to another, you know, young, young team that we haven't spoken much about on the show. Uh, Matt, I know Matt is very high on Atalanta and they absolutely kill Frozione. Um, I think it was 5-0. And there's just a couple of names. They have a very interesting squad, a, a little bit mix of old and new here. Um, but, you know, their center mid Ederson is having his probably his best season in Syria. The Brazilian, he has two goals and one assist. He's more of a holding midfielder, so he doesn't get on the score sheet, but he's adding goals to his game. Um, you know, not even to mention the AC Milan reject De Catalare, who was abysmal for AC Milan uh, last season, but has you know come up huge this season. Probably been one of their better players, and you know Coop Miners as well, who who came from the Eredivisie. Um, is one of the best center mids, if not one of the better players in Serie A. Is that a fair take? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I definitely would co-sign the idea of Atalanta being a, a fun side and almost, <laughs> it's funny with Serie A because it feels like a lot of those top teams, for as much as they, for the fact that they are at the top, you can pick them apart and you can just see so many flaws with them. Whereas Atalanta are a bit of a classic overachiever. Um, in and amongst that chaos, um, and it all comes from the head coach Gasparini, who's now been there for a uh, for a decent amount of time and has been yes. playing attractive football as as the rest of the league has favoured a more conservative style, which has brought about results because there's a bit of a talent differential there, but has not been as fun to watch as the uh, Atalanta side uh, that he's coached. You mentioned the players there as well. It's almost fun to think of them as this little mini uh, rehabilitation centre for uh, for centre forwards who had ill advised moves. Um, at a certain point in their career. I'm thinking of uh, Skamaka going to uh, West Ham, which, mm-hmm. I mean, you can understand the Premier League pull 
the financial uh, incentive that that brings. But whoever's idea it was to match that head coach with that player, I hear. Yeah, I'm not quite sure, but I'm happy that he's now there and he's uh, enjoying himself. But Decay Solar, I think, is the headline. He, he's on loan from uh, from Milan at the moment. But I have to say, last season before he signed for, for, for Milan, could not have co-signed him harder as a, as a prospect. Agreed. Just absolutely, absolutely loved him. Just box tick, box tick in terms of everything you would want from him. And the stats were jarring when it came to, you know, looking at, okay, this is a forward who costs this much and he's got no output, like not even a game that you can clutch to here where he did this or or here where he did that. Just nothing at all, really. Um, but watching the games, you still see someone who's not a perfect tactical fit, but he's, you know, he, he this, the way he looks on the ball, the way he's doing this, you can see this, you know, the, this talent that's shining through in a situation that just was, was grinding him down a little bit, but... Hopefully what's happening now is that with his form at Atalanta, rather than Milan thinking that he can come back and repeat this, they think of it from the from the perspective of, okay, now we can get our money back and he can go somewhere where he's going to thrive. Um and I do think that's probably likely to be the case because Milan have found some gems in the uh well not gems, but they've they've made some signings in the summer that have worked out in it from an attacking sense. So hopefully these those two where uh, those two parties go their separate ways because Milan and the way they like to do things would probably does not well. We know it doesn't suit him, and they'd probably be happier without him. And we know that the Catalada would be a lot happier away from there. So I'm really hopeful they can come to a permanent deal because it's much better to have fun footballers playing in fun systems, and that's what we have here. No, absolutely, and you know, I there is one saving grace with you know his Milan career is if Pioli leaves and another coach comes in and sees. De Ketelaar as a player that he can, you know, utilize, and that would, you know, that would be great. Um, so it's been, been off and on and off the hot seat, so could happen. I, yeah, I, I think so. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say his career is all but finished, but you know, for a player who, you know, he's very tall, but he's so delicate with the ball, and you know, he just plays a a, a really attractive brand of football. I, I liked him a lot. At, wasn't it? He was at Brugge, right? Yeah, Club Bruges, that's where he Club came Bruges. from. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I had my eye on him and I was thinking he'd go to the Premier League and I thought he would be a right a good fit, you know, in that kind of I don't know, setting, I guess. But I I, I don't think his Milan chapter is, is all but over. It really depends on if Pioli stays or not, because Pioli obviously doesn't rate him. Um, but to, you know, talk about that young core, you know, they had a twenty three oh uh goalkeeper, Carnesecchi. Scalvini, 20 years old center back. I mean, great product. Uh, you know, he's been talked about as a great prospect. Um, it's probably his second season of, you know, consistent game time in Syria, um, as well as Holm, this, the right mid Swede, uh, Ruggieri, who's 21. You know, you mentioned Skamaka, who's, I mean, he's, I've never seen someone shoot the ball as hard as Skamaka. I mean, he's, <laughs> his shot and like it makes just, a, a goalkeeper's nightmare and then yeah. as well as uh they signed backer um yeah from the bundesliga so they have a they quietly build a very young squad and and obviously they have some aging you know players including just Darun, really yeah but the, the, that that helps as well the uh, the daroons of the team the people that they have around it who just supplement it and and are smart the team that the way they play tactically it's so good that they there's always there's always movement off the ball 
overlaps, things like this, which not only just create opportunities for players, but like you mentioned, someone like Skamaka. And it's something that Liverpool are really good with um, mm-hmm. in terms of the intense way that they play with overlaps is that if you have good players at shooting from range, the best way to create opportunities for them to shoot in angles is to have runners, is to surround them with athleticism so the lanes open up towards the goal. It's It's really smart what they do. And yeah, just really good club at bringing out the best of young talents rather than doing things in a way of, okay, we do what we do. We sign you for a lot of money. You should fit into this. And if you don't, it's your problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Well, you know, glad we got to dive into two of the most arguably interesting teams in, in Serie A as of now. Um, and, you know, Juventus are snapping at the heels that enter and, and Atalanta would love to get uh, UCL football. So, um, you know, Going to take a quick break. On the other side of the break, we'll have some discussion points and uh, we'll discuss a little bit of AFCON, Asian Cup, and have some predictions for you as well. Um, as again, please follow the show on Twitter or X at Full Time Roundup. Following you and at underscore UNR. Follow me at Liverpool CLTFC. And uh, please like, subscribe, rate the podcast as it helps us spread our brand. We will be right back after this break. Welcome back, all. Um, So we'll go ahead and and jump right into it. Um, Let's see here. What do we want to start? We'll we'll just quickly recap Afcon real quick in, in in the Asian Cup and you know talk a little bit about that and then we'll go ahead and and get into our discussions here. So um, Algeria, you know, had a shock draw against Angola, considering how strong the Algerian uh, side is, and you know they were one of the favorites to win the competition. This is obviously you know surprising, but on the other hand, you see a a Senegal, you know, cruise the victory. Um, you know, you would probably hope more for Cameroon as they have another shock draw against uh Guinea, um, which is obviously not ideal if you're hosting the tournament. Um, Nambia upset Tunisia, that's why we love the cups, you know, anything can happen. Morocco kind of cruised the victory against Tanzania, um, Congo ties Zambia, Nigeria with probably the game of the week so far, edge out a win against Ivory Coast. Uh, Ivory Coast or Cote d'Ivoire are now in third place, actually. So that's going to be a really interesting kind of group to keep your eye on as, you know, probably everyone would have bet money that Nigeria and Ivory Coast kind of make it out of that group. Um, But, you know, is it Equatorial Guinea said not so fast. And they actually are topping the group right now. So, Pretty as they they also beat you know their I would guess neighbors Guinea Bissau not very good on geographic locations here so please forgive <laughs> me and then Egypt tied Ghana two two um, the biggest you know result out of this is Mohamed Salah limped off after halftime with a hamstring don't know the the extent of that but should be fairly interesting. Um, to keep an eye on, but you know, in this place, Marmouche, who's been, you know, a revelation at Frankfurt uh, this year, stepped up with a big goal, and then Mohamed Kudus scored both goals for Ghana, and he's just been a revelation. Like I said, with with West Ham, um, you know, 
Any any teams or any results or any players that you've enjoyed watching from AFCON? Um, I think the main takeaway I would have, well, two main takeaways from AFCON, and, and it kind of gets into international football at gen- in general, is that from a tactical perspective, it just it ha- it represents such a drop off from club football. I- I'm I'm not the first person to make this point, but whether it's the lack of time that the players get to spend with the coaches, whether it's the, you know, the nature of international football tournaments, which leaves such a low, uh, a low margin for error, which maybe uh, creates conservative football to an extent you watch it and you just, you see a lot of, you see a lot of tepid play. You see a lot of uh, conservative play out of possession and for, for as high drama as it is and high stakes as it is, the actual football that it produced always amazing, but at the same time, it can it, it because it's so high stakes, it makes it entertaining at the same time. For as much as the on-field product isn't great, the fact that the stakes are so high almost evens it out and gets it in that nice sweet spot. So, you know, as depressing as it maybe is, that's probably my main takeaway from uh, from not only Afcon but uh, from the little bits of the Asia Cup that I've watched, and also go- going back to the World Cup as well. So this isn't continent specific. Also, what I would say, uh, we've not watched the game because because uh, we've been recording, but Mohamed Kudush is someone who I love. He scored two tonight. Apparently, both goals were were pretty sensational. I've not seen them, so I can't speak to it, but the reactions were pretty big. Um, and I'm wondering if he is going to end up taking this tournament by the scruff of the neck. And for as much as I hate a player doing well, instantly meaning that they have to leave their club if they're not an elite contender, that's probably what's going to end up being the conversation off the back of this, is saying how much can we get for this guy? Because they signed him at a snip at about 40 million. And yeah, he's probably worth double that already. So yeah, I'm excited to see how the rest of his tournament goes. Could not agree more, and I know Liverpool was in the race to sign him, and I don't think a player of that caliber deserves to be playing under a Moyes type football. I think you know the I'll free co-sign flowing, that. <laughs> yeah, the free I'll flowing football that. <laughs> is what he deserves, um, as well as Paqueta on that on that side from West Ham, and just for the Asian Cup, um, Australia and Uzbekistan are just bossing their Group B. Um, with you know two consecutive wins, um, South Korea you know get their first result with a win. Um, let's see here, uh, Iraq is is rolling, which they have a, a fairly decent squad. So that's you know they're actually kind of a, a quieter sneaky favorite, and then Qatar and and Saudi kind of scrape by as well. Saudi coached by Mancini. So forgot about that one. So thought that was an interesting development. After he left Italy, he went straight to Saudi Arabia to coach them. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder why he took the job. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, we're gonna have to think about that one. And in live time, Atletico Madrid score a goal in stoppage time or in extra time to to go ahead of Real Madrid. There's still plenty of time left, but just wanted to keep our listeners updated with how that game is going on right now and. If you're not watching it, go ahead and watch the highlights or, or rewatch that whole thing. But now to the part I've been looking for, um, our discussion before we hit predictions. Um, who do you think has overachieved this year and underachieved this year within the top five European leagues? And not players, I mean teams. 
Yeah, I, I almost took this from the perspective of teams that are running a little bit hot. So teams that, um, based on where they are in the league right now and results-wise, you would expect to see a little bit of a dip of uh, a dip from in the second half of the year. So, for as much as overachieving is something that you would associate with uh, with with being good, it also might project that this is a little bit of an indictment, and maybe these are teams that won't have as much success in the second half of the season. So a team that I mentioned earlier that I said we would maybe get onto a little bit more is Wolves, Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Premier League. Um, I think they are a prime example of a team that's been running a little bit hot because for as much as I say that I do like their squad, I think that the coaching and, and, and the general tactical situation there with Gary O'Neill leaves a lot to be desired and they are running hot on some some serious fortune, <laughs> which is something that has continued to bite me as I've said it and they've continued to get results. But I'm very kind of I'm very stubborn until there is no room for manoeuvre is is something that I think you've learned about me in having football conversations. And I just I believe what I see in terms of the, the in terms of what they do out of possession. I believe what I see in terms of uh, the patterns of play in possession, which sometimes will produce individual quality, but I don't think will provide anything sustained. I think there's very little room for error with them, which people will laugh at because they think that they've actually been hard done by by officiating and they maybe should be higher up. I don't quite co-sign that. I think that everything officiating-wise evens out over long sample sizes, which is what we have now. So, yeah, I, whether them running hot actually ends up with that, anything interesting happening with them being in a relegation fight, I think they have too many points, too much quality to get into that. Maybe in a stronger field, it would have caused them problems, but I, I don't foresee that being an issue at all um, for them. I don't know if you have any strong takes on this at all. Obviously, they're they're a bit out of uh, your, your worries as a Liverpool fan, but... No, I mean, I've actually been really impressed with, with Wolves, just the fact that Gary O'Neill has had to deal with not only, you know, first Mateus Nunez, you know, leaving to go to Manchester city. That's, I mean, he was by far their best player last year, in my opinion. Um, and then you, you kind of look to Pedro Neto to kind of, all right, you need time for you to step up and be the, the star man. And then he gets a long-term injury and he's out. And then, you know, you also lose a, a guy who's put in plenty of minutes over the years. Adama Traore still, still cannot get that final product but just the the pace and the speed that you can play with that style of football that counterattacking he's just such a dangerous player for defenders to keep their eye on um and they made some gambling with some with some signings that they had i mean mateus cunha's kind of hit the ground and finally started banging in some goals which has been big for them um a couple of their center mids Bellegarde, the haitian um, you know, I didn't really expect that much from him to start out, but he's, you know, played pretty good football. So, I mean, I think yeah. Gary O'Neill for what he's been giving in the state of, you know, how many injuries of key, key players he's had, I thought he's done, done a hell of a job, but obviously I think they could regress to the mean at, at some point or another. Yeah. I just, I think as a football club in of that ilk where they are, you, you want to, the short term matters massively of course, because the threat of relegation is real for a lot of clubs and, and it brings with that financial, uh, some some real scary stuff financially. But I think where Wolves are now, I mentioned they have a decent, uh, they have a decent stiff arm on the relegation spot at this point. You can afford to think a little bit more long-term. You can think, okay, like how do we project in terms of where are we going to be in a year's time, in six months' time, in three years' time? You want to always be planning like that. 
And I wonder if the decision they'll come to is a similar one that Bournemouth came to with Gary O'Neill in that they did stay up and he did manage to get a fair bit of juice out of their best players. Like he has credentials as a manager. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't debate that um, in terms of his flaw. But ultimately they came to the decision that if we want to have a long-term plan, new owners there, we're going to probably have to move on and get someone else in. And they got Andoni Iriola, who I absolutely love as a manager. Um, and, I've and they've been got some strength. To, yeah, no, they, they've been fantastic. I'm glad they managed to stick with him and that's worked out the way it has. And yeah, it's it's, uh, it's 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 been good to see how they've got on. But yeah, I wonder if Wolves come to a similar decision. Another team that I had for overachieving as well, but, uh, that <laughs> um, is is on the completely different end of the spectrum here is is actually Real Madrid. I don't know if you can have two teams that uh, that that have bigger dissimilarities in the top five leagues um, in terms of position and maybe glamour as well. But I think that La Liga, the, the conversation has been mostly around Girona and, and everything that they've been able to do with a little bit of, of, of Barcelona struggles sprinkled in there. But Real Madrid, you look at their points total that they have so far this year and their results, I think that they're on track to get maybe 93 points. Which is a which, lot. It is. It's a it's a Man City Liverpool esque return from a thirty eight game season. It's a lot of points, and it's not really been spoken about much because Girona have been so good and are still at the top of the league. So Real Madrid, they've been going on and having this great season points wise, but every time I watch them, God, it's a it's a real drag compared to how talented the squad is. It feels like it's a competition between like can we put these players in as awful a spot as possible and can they still drag it out of uh, drag a result out of the game based on how large this talent differential is it's almost like this sick sporting uh, social experiment that they have going on there's just there's no structure in possession there's no there's no out of possession stuff i mean top teams there's maybe less emphasis on pressing but there should absolutely be an emphasis on counter pressing if you're going to live in the opposition's half and that doesn't really exist at all. But I've been someone who's doubted Real Madrid for a little while now, and uh, they've they've uh, they've bit me before. Their their style has uh, has pulled through, and and I mean, really, it's the quality that's pulled through. But I don't mind co-signing again. That I I could even see, you know, they could win the league, but they could win the league with eighty four points. I just don't think that the pace they're going at league wise. Is, is going to be carried on the second half of the season, which, again, like I say, could still win the league because Girona are running really hot, but I, I, it just doesn't do it for me. I don't know how you feel on this, but I really struggle to get my arms around them stylistically. Yeah. Very, very early in the season, I was very down on Madrid. And like you said, sometimes you're just, you know, the definition of insanity is expecting... Uh, the same or different results with, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no number nine now. And I couldn't believe that Carlo Ancelotti, they signed him for one more year um, or two more years, excuse me. Could not believe it just because they are a squad that, I mean, I feel like he just, you know, trots them out there and then, all right, go do your thing. Like, they they just rely on you know personal brilliance, piggybacking as well off of you know some of the oldest players in the game like Luka Modric and Tony Cruz and and players like that who are probably a little bit past their prime but still can produce moments of magic when it matters most. 
And I've felt this way about this Madrid side for a while now, where there's obvious holds. Obviously, with Benzema, it was a bit different because Benzema was a, arguably the best player on the planet for you know a time or so. But they didn't adequately you know replace him. They signed Jude. Jude hit the ground sprinting not even running sprinting and then you know vinicius and rodrigo have found their form they started off poorly so they're just they're an anomaly and they're gonna win the league more than likely and they're gonna go far in the champions league and yeah they might get knocked out of copa del rey we're watching right now but uh (laughs) i was gonna say this isn't recency bias just based on what's going on i'd want to clarify seriously (laughs) and they they absolutely crush uh, oh, I guess the scoreline wasn't indicative, but they still beat Atletico Madrid pretty well in the Supercopa, which was like a big measuring test. They kill Barcelona in the final. I just don't understand it, and I'll probably go mad trying to figure out how this team could keep sweating. But <laughs> if we, you know, we'll probably look back in a in a couple of years and be like, how the hell did that team, you know, win all that with just how they played, not just looking at the squad, but if you actually watch a few games. Now, I would yeah. love to hear some of your underachievers. Yeah, this one, um, this one's a little bit tough, uh, just trying to look at this, because you, you never want to give teams too much credit if things aren't going quite as well as you'd hope. Um, but, you know, there's always explanations, there's always reasons for this stuff. One of the... T- uh, this this felt very Premier League focused to me in terms of thinking about mainly Newcastle and and Chelsea. I feel like they're two teams that it's it's fairly obvious to say that they have underachieved, but at the same time, it feels like there's way more excuses being made for those two teams than you would ever expect if you'd have just told someone at the start of the season this is where these two clubs are. You'd think that, that you know heads would be rolling and things would be happening like that, um, but it doesn't really seem to be that way. Like Newcastle, it seems like everyone's obsessed with talking about the injuries and how tired everyone is, which I don't quite understand. I think every club is dealing with a lot of injuries and and some clubs are just better at dealing with that than others. Um, And that gets to the Eddie Howe situation, whereby if your mantra as a manager is... I've talked a lot about how I think out-of-possession football is important in structuring that, but when you're out-of-possession structure doesn't complement the in-possession stuff. And when it's asking a lot of intensity, you know, don't complain too much when it ends up with a with a long injury list and uh, make sure that you get a plan for that because it's a long season. Um, but yeah, low in the league, out of Europe. And uh, yeah, I just, I haven't been impressed with them at all. I, I don't really enjoy play and I don't see how this is going to turn around without major changes, um, which you never like to say, but that's that's just how I feel about it. Then you get to Chelsea and you think, Okay, some of the problems which don't, exist. Don't listen, Graham Matt. Pop- don't listen, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, go ahead, though. To, to be it. fair, I think the thing is, is that you, you say that, and it depends. It, it basically it depends off uh, Chelsea's last result because I get how when they come off the back of a win, you can look at the talent and think this is a team that's going places because the the talent is just so obvious. I love Cole Palmer. Absolutely love him. And Cuckoo, I know that things haven't gotten properly started for him yet, but I love him as well. There's so much to like about the the actual squad. But structure-wise, and again, this is something that I actually think Matt would probably co-sign, I don't think they're being coached well enough. I don't think Poch is a manager that that is kind of built for 2024 in the Premier League. I think that was probably a poor appointment, even though that he has a decent amount of pedigree. 
like it takes it takes a very talented manager to in, in the wrong way to make Lionel Messi look as washed as he did a year before he goes and wins a Ballon d'Or. So I uh, I just again I, I struggle to see that they will get where they're trying to get to without major changes. I think that's two teams who probably need to to you know probably and again I hate to say it because it it sounds reactionary, but I didn't like the Poch. Uh, appointment when it happened and I didn't really feel enamoured with Eddie Howe last season when they were doing well so I don't feel too uh, too prisoner at the moment to say that I don't think those two teams are onto a winner with the managers that they have um, I don't know if you agree agree disagree with that at all it's um, yeah it's certainly polarising because you know Matt's a Chelsea fan we we co have the the X account I actually have more Chelsea fans and stuff on my timeline than I would you know care for <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. But um I I, I would say that they have con- they they just can't convert chances and they created top three in chances. So you know a lot of these issues could change if they you know had a proper striker up front who would put balls in the back of the net. Now I still find them fairly boring to watch. I I think it's not very pragmatic football. Um, And I I do agree with some of your points, but my biggest thing is some of the, the underlying statistics are there and it just, it's a weird one. It's a weird one with Chelsea. You also have the mix of just 10 new young players all being thrown in at once who were all wonder kids at separate clubs. And then you try to make them play all together with like very little veteran leadership. I mean, you're going to have to have a hell of a, you know, a coach to, to kind of steer that gap. And, and he's done okay at it, but I don't know. I mean, what Matt always says is it's a project, but you know, there's yeah. really bad results and there's good results. And <laughs> I still don't know if Pochettino's the guy. Yeah, I can't be a full hypocrite and and completely blame Potter for everything that's going on. It's a really difficult situation. And I say hypocrite because I defended Graham Potter throughout the difficulty of everything that happened there. Um, and almost to borrow from that a little bit, I, I do wonder if you'd have just powered through the, the difficulty of that and he was still there now, still coaching this team, still working with young players. Would you Would you be better off? I think they probably would. Yeah. So that that comes in there as well. And again, you mentioned the underlyings. There's a little bit of game state informed in that. I, I think that would be my my counter. I think the game state helps with that situations that they found themselves in. Um, but it's a fair point. It's a fair point that if there's just a little bit more technical quality there, that they could find themselves higher up the table. But I just I, I'm I'm more <laughs> I'm always more eye test and I'm always more tactical perspective than I am data. And I just see a team that just leaves a a lot to be desired in terms of the way that they connect on the pitch, the way that the defensively, how far away they play from, from the midfield and it's an expensive midfield, the way that those players connect with each other. It's just a lot that needs improving and it's not an ideal situation. Of course not, but you, those people make a lot of money to figure it out off the pitch and on the pitch. And uh, I don't think it's happening so far and I wouldn't bet on it ever being figured out with this regime, to be honest. No, absolutely. And, um, I do have an, just one thing I wanted to, because you, you are a Leeds fan, so you're very well acquainted with the, the championship. You know, not to throw any daggers here. That was completely genial. <laughs> but um, 
I really like okay, I do like the championship promotion stuff where it's sixth, fifth, fourth, and and third play for the third spot. Arguably the most expensive game in football. But I also don't mind the Bundesliga, how they play, you know, that last team plays, you know, the team in the second league to decide. Yeah. Would you at I mean, I don't think I, I could ever see English, you know, the English championship changing that. But could you see where they tr- switch things up? Or are you a big traditionalist with, with this this setup? Um, It's funny. I do wonder if there is almost a chance that this would happen because I do think that the Bundesliga actually does have a more marketable um set up in how they do their promotion and relegation and when it comes to the premier league it's all about it's all about the money the the marketing and everything like that you almost wonder if that two-legged game would get more viewers would would bring in more money so that's kind of my cynical answer when it comes to whether this could actually ever happen Uh, whether i would like it to happen i'm almost convoluted with it because one i like large sample sizes to dictate what happens when it comes to football so I would rather the large sample sizes of the two seasons have a bigger say in this. But also it's a little bit hypocritical because for a 46-game season to then, with what's going on right now with the structure, go into third versus sixth, playing two-legged playoff games and then a final, I mean, that's hardly going off large sample sizes. It is really, is it? Because, I mean, I've... I've been on the on the receiving end of Leeds finishing third and Frank Lampard's Derby County finishing sixth, and there being about twenty points between those sides. And ultimately, Derby were the team that went on to the final because they won over two legs. So there's no there's no perfect way to do it other than just signing up for the top three teams in the Championship go up. But again, that that's never going to happen because the playoffs are just too exciting and people love them too much. So. I, I would probably lean to the idea of keeping it as it is, just almost from that traditional perspective, even though, like I mentioned, it has caused me heartache before, but there's no guarantee that it wouldn't cause me any any different heartache uh, with a different uh, a different setup. The other thing I would say there as well, which is the more serious point as to why I would keep it the way it is now, the fact that the Premier League is becoming so much more financially dominant and the championship is not seeing that trickle down that would have been uh, would have been planned. It almost feels unfair to have a Premier League team face a Championship team. That is true under under those circumstances in a playoff. For as much yeah. as it would be, you know, seem fair to say, oh, this team in the Premier League versus this team in the Championship, they're on an even playing field, sort of in terms of their seasons, because the divide is uh, like there's parachute payments for a reason. There's a reason why whenever a Premier League team gets relegated. It's like oh, no, this team, this team will have this play. This team will have this play. Like, and and just to just to finish the thought, can you imagine a Leicester team playing in that playoff with James Madison, <laughs> with yeah. Yuri Tielemans? You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, it, from that perspective, that would be kind of my serious roundup thought on this. From that perspective, I, I think that if this did come into play, the Premier League teams probably winning nine times out of ten because of that financial differential. So that's why I'd probably be mainly happy to keep it as it is. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, I I wasn't sure, but you 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 have swayed me. But um, obviously, I'd love to you know discuss a little bit more of stuff. We'll we'll definitely have to have you on another time to you know 
keep these discussions rolling, but we're going to hit these this preview <laughs> section now. When um, Leeds just... lose the playoff final, have me on after that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that'll be and a that'll if be I'd a like tough... to change the system. <laughs> no, absolutely. That is true. Uh, I'm rooting for Leeds, though. So hopefully, you know, I've been keeping an eye on the championship more than I usually do. I've been really impressed with Southampton and their manager um, as of late. But for the preview show, so I, I'm sure you know how to do this, but I'm just going to name a game. You're going to predict the winner and the score. So we're going to go into the Asian Cup first with Iraq versus Japan. Arguably two of the better teams in the tournament are facing head-to-head. How do you think this one shakes out? I'm almost happy to be a bit of a bandwagoner with the ja- with the Japan thing. <laughs> I'm just so enamored with the way that they've done their football development. I'm, I'm happy to co-sign any thoughtful football stuff that's happening because um, I think it generally improves the game and and what they're doing. I don't know if any. Um, I don't know if you've read this or not, or, or if the the listeners have read this. I would encourage them to seek it out. I think there's a long a long form document of their plan to. I saw that. Yeah, to win the World Cup. I think it's by. Is it? I, is it by 2030 or is it even You call that a manifesto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's pretty much a manifesto. <laughs> um and and yeah, it's just it's it's very very thoughtful. So in the in the small term short term way because it's so impressive, I'm just like, yeah, sign me up for Japan. I don't need to see more. And then I watch them play and I'm like, yeah, this is the best team in this tournament. <laughs> so sign me up for Japan. I'll probably put myself down for a 3-0 win. I just I think they're that impressive. 3-0. Yeah, I'm, 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 and like you say, Iraq are, are, are not a, are not a bad side. I just, um, I'm, I'm kind of drinking the Kool Aid with them. So, uh, yeah, put me down for three 0 I'm going three two Japan as well. Um, I think that Japan's defense was a little leaky against Vietnam to start out, so maybe they concede at least one, one or two goals from Iraq here. Um, but yeah, to just quickly piggy off what you said, uh, piggyback off what you said. Um, there was a video of Japan high school ball and it was like perfection of building out of the back and everything. And they've done a great job. So very impressed with them. All right. So quickly to move on, Senegal, Cameroon, Cameroon's the host state. Like I said, Senegal is arguably the favorite if they can go back to back. How do you think this one shakes out? This is a tough one. <laughs> um, and when it comes to a tough one, default me in a tournament and and this this might even be a bit of a hot text i don't know how many people predict these but you kind of signed me up for a nil nil on this one no, no. I, and okay. i know that goes i know that go, i know that goes against the grain of, of afcon in general because it has been fairly high scoring on top of the fact that there's been a lot of penalties it seems like the var referee situation there is a little bit funny so maybe this is an ill-advised prediction but i see two teams where from the little i've seen from them i think there's I think there's flaws and I think it's a game which will come in with a lot of nerves. And when you get a game like that, which combines the two things, I'm almost getting England USA flashbacks of that mm-hmm. group game. That was the, uh, that was the second group game of that tournament in the world cup. So even though I'm predicting a nil nil, obviously wouldn't be surprised if one of the other teams edges it and it ends up being one nil, but I can't pick one between these two. So I'm happy to sign up for a nil nil, even though that might be uh, ill-advised based on the history of the two teams and, uh, and 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 just the general quality that will be on display, attack versus defense. But yeah, put me in for nil nil. I'm gonna go two nil Senegal. I just think that Cameroon have not impressed, even though it, it is a home stay. They will want to upset the 
the the winner of the last tournament, but I, I think Senegal gonna per here. Um last one from AFCON, Algeria, Burkin Faso. Algeria with a, a tough result to start out. Burkin Faso one. Is Algeria gonna bounce back here or are they gonna have, you know, crash out of the tournament possibly? Yeah, based off um, the previous results, obviously Algeria having a bit of a disappointing draw, Burkina Faso getting a great result, um, even though they would have been expected to win, always good to win your first game. I think this is a little bit of a correction game. I'm going to put down Algeria for a 2-0 win. I think they'll be, you know, it's it's a case of you get a desperate side versus a team that's coming in and they'll obviously come and compete. It's, it's you know, it's they're not going to be, uh, they're not going to be thinking, oh, you know, we won our first game. It's all right. We don't need to win this one. But subconsciously, a little bit of comfort comes in potentially. And I do think Algeria are the better developed side tactically. I think that they'll come out with a better game plan. I can see them scoring early and I can see them taking generally uh, general control of the game due to the fact that they are one of the more competent out-of-possession sides in the tournament. So, yeah, put me down for a 2-0 a that maybe feels more like a stronger result based off how they'll control the game. All right, I'm going to go 2-1 Algeria. So a little bit tight, like you said, but I think both teams score here. Um, going to the Coppa Italia, Inter, who steamrolling in the Serie A versus Lazio, who are kind of rejuvenated under Maurizio Sarri. How do you think this one shakes out? Do you think Inter continue their, their role, or do you think Lazio kind of give them some trouble here? Uh, same again here. I'll go for 2-0 uh, to, uh, to Inter. I just, as much as I hate the fact that it is the case, um, they're a hard team to bet against. They're a hard team to bet against in big games. Um, it just seems like they, uh, they, they, with the experience of the side, they know how to navigate things. They know how to suffer when it comes to those 10, 15-minute periods where they are going to have to suffer. Um, they're very good at the dark arts, which uh, for a good Serie A side probably shouldn't come as much as a surprise. Or maybe that's just me being cynical as a Juve fan. I don't know. But... Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a situation where Lazio, they'll probably be pretty happy with the result that's brought them here. Um, and Inter, yeah, I, I just trust them in a big game to perform better tactically and their players to live up uh, to expectations. So, yeah, give me a comfortable 2-0 again there. I'm going to go 1-0 Inter versus Lazio. Um, I think it'll be a tight one. Probably a pretty boring game, if I'm being completely honest here. But, uh, you know... Next one on the docket, Leipzig versus Bayer Leverkusen. Leipzig obviously didn't play well last week, and Bayer Leverkusen scraped by, but are missing a ton of key players. Do you think Leipzig bounced back here? Uh, no, no. I um, this is two teams who I feel fairly, uh, fairly opposed thoughts about. I'm, I'm very high on what Leverkusen are doing. I'm, I'm still shocked by what they have done, but I came in fairly optimistic, and uh, yeah, they've exceeded those expectations. Um, so I'm happy to uh, to sign them up for a win here. Probably uh, I'll bump the goals up a little bit because we are talking about the Bundesliga. But uh, yeah, give me three ones for uh, Leverkusen in this game. I'm not overly uh, thrilled by what Le uh, Leipzig have done. I, I don't enjoy them too much. So yeah, I'm happy to go for three one for Bayer Leverkusen. That's a big result. I'm gonna go three two here. I, I think Xavi Simmons is gonna be a lot for that banged up Bayer Leverkusen defense here, but I think Bayer Leverkusen will edge out the win here. Um hate that we're agreeing on all these. Um Liverpool versus <laughs> Bournemouth, Klopp versus Iriola. You know, Bournemouth are red hot right now. Dominic Solanke's gonna gonna want to prove himself to his old club. Do you see, you know, being another walk in the park for Liverpool or do you think Bournemouth are gonna give him a surprise? 
Um, first disagreement, probably. <laughs> Almost timely that it came up. Um, I would predict... Uh, let me go two all for this game. Let me predict, I, was, I was thinking between one all and two all, but let me go for two all. Um, I think Bournemouth, they lost 3-1 at Anfield, but they actually played pretty well to start with. I think they, they had a good opening. They went 1-0 up and generally had a good opening first 30 minutes. And uh, then Liverpool took con- uh, control of the game, the quality showed and everything like that. But I think now you're getting a better version of Bournemouth that understands the system better, is maybe even a little bit more fitter than they were when they played at Anfield in August. So, yeah, sign me up for a 2-2 in this game. And I'd also just add that I don't even think that's that bad of a result for Liverpool. I know it's always daunting to draw games in a Premier League title race when Man City are kind of that shack coming in the water. But... I think playing Bournemouth in the form that they're in away from home and getting a result when you have so many players missing, Salah and Trent to name the two best outfield players that you have at this moment probably will both miss the game. Not the be- not the worst result in the world. So, yeah, I'll go for a two-all draw and uh, it's probably going to be a hell of a game. Yeah, this is probably the game of the weekend for me other than you know Leipzig versus Bayer Leverkusen. I'm going to go with... It's a tough one because I, I do agree with what you say and I am kind of worried about this game a little bit i'm gonna go 2-1 liverpool i think it'll be a scrappy one you know maybe bournemouth kind of let off the gas at the end and and liverpool do what they do after 80 minutes um and for the last game we'll have betis real betis versus barcelona barcelona actually played today so it will be played on sunday but not a ton of rest and they didn't rotate the squad too much but how do you think this one do you think barca continue to struggle in la liga or do you do you think, you know, they get back to winning ways here? Uh, I'm going to go 2-0 Real Betis. I think wow. he gets it. <laughs> yeah, that's um I just I think they're I think they're a better team. <laughs> Plain and simple. I think they're the better team. They're the better team. They'll be um this game is in Betis, I believe. So they're the better team. They're playing at home and they're playing against a team that's going to be playing within themselves that Honestly, Barcelona and the main thing, and and maybe this is a conversation for another time, but they're getting worse. Like they, the longer that Xavi is there, it's not getting better. They're tactically getting worse and worse, and you can see it in the reflection of the players. They're getting there's a lot more on field dispute. It just it seems like the longer he's there, the worse it gets, and it feels like it's coming to a result like what I predict will happen, where it's almost going to bring up the question again in a major way, but. Yeah, I I think Betis win and, and maybe win without too much trouble. Barca obviously have quality, but I think Betis is the better side, so give me them 2-0. I'm going 2-2. Um, I think they draw here. Barca just somehow find a way of getting a result of games they don't deserve. They've made a habit of that this season. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying here, and I, I do think a, a good underdog pick would be would be Betis to win here. But Ewan, thank you so much for... for stepping in today it's been a great time talking football with you i know we went a little longer for the listeners than we originally wanted but we just have so much you know good discussions to have so thank you again for for coming on it was it was great getting to know you and you know follow him on twitter uh listeners he he has a lot of good insight no brilliant no i appreciate it a lot man you guys do a hell of a job um Happy to keep Matt's seat warm and hopefully did uh, even half as good a job as he does because you guys are killing it. So pleasure, pleasure to be on.